0: So I have three memories in my ears, three aural memories from, I think it was probably second or third grade. The first was if you were in elementary school in the 1970s, you might remember these sort of uh, listening labs they had in the back of the room. You would go and you'd put on these huge, oversized, uh, almost looked like big plastic earmuffs, you know, those big earphones. And there was this really soothing voice that would come through that would teach me all about the dinosaurs. I have no idea what this... Guy's name is. Other than these days, he does um, voiceovers for right-wing political causes. That's the only thing I, I know about him. Um, the second, the second uh, memory I have in my ears is of Senor Dongato, my, my first Spanish words. Now, perhaps some of you remember this as well. It's, it's a story of a, of a cat who, uh, in song, who, whose love of fish was so great that he was literally resurrected after his death. That's Senor Dongato. Uh, I think it was the, though the burial was slated, he became reanimated, meow, meow, meow. He, be, he came back to life, dongado. That, that's, that's the second memory I have. And fittingly, the third is learning Octopus's Garden. Before I knew anything at all about the Beatles, before they held any significance for me or to me, I knew Octopus's Garden was taught it. As I bring this message series to a close, about being the Beatles, these archetypes of different expressions of soul, of core aspects of our humanity. At times in this message series, I've told you a little bit about who my favorite Beatle was and who I thought the most talented might have been and who certainly was the most difficult Beatle to deal with. John sort of, in some ways, from my perspective, all three of those. But today I want to focus on who the most necessary Beatle was, the most necessary The argument can be made, and indeed I believe it, that Ringo was the glue that held the entire band together. Without Ringo, there would not have been the Beatles, I think, in the same way that we knew them to be. There had to be someone in that group of four who didn't have an ego to hold all the rest of them together. George was always feeling bruised when they were together that he was left out, that he only got two songs. Paul was a complete control freak, especially later on, And John could, at times, unfortunately, be just a mammoth jerk. But Ringo knew and loved his place and who they were. He said in 1968, when he was being asked about, what's your place in history? He said about himself, I'm not the creative one. I know that. If Rory Storm, my first band that I was in as a drummer, came along and the Beatles didn't come along after that, well, today I'd probably be a laborer somewhere. I'm glad I'm not. It'll be nice to be a part of history. Ringo is that rare person, rare in two categories. One, to actually win the lottery, and two, not to have your gratitude wrecked by having won the lottery. He loved his place in that band. Without Ringo, they were not the same. They wouldn't have been the same. He was the only Beatle who all three chose to record with after the breakup, and he was the only one who was invited to record with each of them individually after the group broke up as well. His greatest happiness was to be a part of the band, an integral part, not bigger than, just a part. And so these words from The poet Rumi come to mind, written 800 years ago, but very much describing how Ringo, I think, understood himself, his parts as a role in the whole. Rumi said, a wall standing alone is useless, but put three or four walls together and they'll support a roof and keep the grain dry and safe. When ink joins with pen, then the blank paper can say something. Rushes and weeds must be woven to be useful as a mat. If they were not interlaced, the wind would just blow them away. One of the things that the Beatles helped people to experience and invited people to know in our world is a greater abundance of choices of the true diversity of our world. And so one of the things they created was a culture, not just in the baseball sense, but a greater culture of free agency, of the many things at our disposal so we might grow. But I think free agency in the larger sense of the liberty of our choices is only truly can it reach its fulfillment by understanding the other side, that free agency will only ever satisfy us if we're on a really good team. This is what Ringo loved, teamwork, to be a part of something. Now, when Ringo was first introduced to the world, he was the goofy one, sort of cuddly, sort of lovable, sort of a doofus. But it's interesting to remember that when he was introduced to the Beatles, he scared the crap out of the other Beatles. He literally scared them. The reason is this, and actually in light of something that's happening in our world right now, some of you have probably heard about this whole controversy over flash mobs, you know, groups of teens gathering in Center City, and I don't want to diminish that. I mean, that really can be scary to be caught up in one of those groups. I think it was summer of 1990 or 1991, I found myself in the middle of a riot in Berkeley, California. It was scary. They were trying to shut down People's Park, which I know was really famous back in the 60s, but at this point had become nothing more than a drug den. It was a pit. It was dangerous. They were trying to close it down, and some gang members and some young anarchists came together, and it was terrifying. So I don't want to diminish this controversy over flash mobs, but I do want to say that it's nothing new. It's no sign that our community, our society, our world right now is going to hell in a handbasket. It has probably always been a part of young men wanting to get together and get into mischief and do damage. Ringo was one of those young guys. When he first came into the studio, he scared, he scared George and John and Paul because he was part of a gang, not yet the Beatles. He said he called it Liverpool, called it Walking with the Lads. Kind of a nice way to paper over the reality of it. Walking with the Lads, it was called. But all you'd walk up and down the street, all you'd do is walk up and down the street, you'd stand on corners, then you'd go beat someone up, and then you'd get beaten up yourself, and then you'd go to the picture shows. That's walking with the lads. But Ringo was called into a better identity than that. He was actually, I love to think of him as the Yogi Berra of the Beatles. Yogi Berra, that master of almost the Zen koan, you know, uh, come to a fork in the road, take it. Yogi had uh, all these great ways of rethinking reality, mastering the obvious in a way no one else could master the obvious. Ringo was kind of the same way. He was asked once, Around that time, late 60s, after the Beatles had been around for a while and they were starting to get a sense of truly how historic this band was, Ringo, the journalist, seriously asked, What do you think you've contributed to the music business? Records. (laughs) Asked once about something that was coming up around the corner, something that, you know, the band might have been looking forward to. He simply said, Well, tomorrow never knows. And bang, right there, you had the title, the last song on Revolver. For me, the first and the best psychedelic song that's ever been recorded. And then finally, most famously, the Beatles in their early days, when it was nothing but touring and recording and touring and recording and touring and recording. And the train just kept going along down the tracks, busy all the time. And at the end of one of these really busy times... He looked exhausted and someone said, you look tired. He said, yeah, it's been a hard day's night. (laughs) That's the wisdom and the wits of Ringo. Now, the shadow side of being the goof is that sometimes, well, the joke is on us. (laughs) John did say, and John had a tendency to be kind of mean, he said, we keep Ringo around so if things go wrong, we can blame everything on him. But most often, Ringo is not the butt of the joke he was in on the joke it's the difference between the class clown do you have any recovering class clowns here yeah all right no one raised their hand all right we can talk afterward it's the difference between the difference between being the kind of class clown in which people are always laughing at you and it's the difference between being the kind of class clown that really creates real mischief because they point out how funny the teacher is being Ringo was not the goof who was the butt of the jokes too often. He was not also the romantic, as Paul was. He was not the mystic, as George was. He was not the visionary, the idealist, as John was. But he didn't want to be. He wanted to play his role in the group as best he could. He was happy simply to be a part, part of something remarkable. Now, because of this, he was sometimes underestimated, especially by the other Beatles. John, semi-jokingly once, when asked, is Ringo the best drummer you've ever played with? He said, Ringo's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. Star, Ringo, sometimes he actually did talk about how he was underappreciated, and sometimes it seems he underappreciated himself. He said, whenever I hear another drummer... I know that I'm no good. I'm no good on those technical things. I'm just your basic offbeat drummer. How I, through my untrained ears, listen to the Beatles and listen to Ringo specifically is that Ringo did everything that was absolutely necessary. Not necessarily extraordinary, but everything that was necessary. And that by doing that necessary work That not terribly obvious stand outside of the box, beyond the box kind of work. By doing what was just given for him to do, he was able to create something extraordinary because of his being a part. When I think of Ringo, I think about the phrase, simply being good enough. Probably some people here this morning who, like myself, struggle with a little bit of a perfectionist, perfectionist reflex within ourselves. Always thinking we need to be the best, and if we're not the best, then we failed. It's not that we want to put other people down. We just wonder about our status unless we're being absolutely the best. I think of Lisa Simpson, who when school is out or on strike, asked her mother once, grade me, grade me, I need an A. Well, that perfectionistic streak can be so, and I use this language intentionally, spiritually, self-damning. Because unless we feel that we've given beyond our absolute best, that we failed. I think of Ringo as the patron saint of good enough. And that to be good enough is to be good. Suitable to the task. Not having to excel all the time but giving what we have in that moment in a way that allows ourselves to be at peace. His role was to be a part of, not really to stand out. Every healthy group that I have ever been a part of in my life, whether it's a congregation, it's my family, whether it's school, whether it's friendships, every healthy group I've ever been a part of has a person or people like this. They're the backbone of healthy groups. The People who don't need to stand out. The people who aren't necessarily up here talking but the people who make not just the engine run, but give it the spirit and the love and the dedication so that it can run well. In this way, Ringo was so different from the other members of the Beatles. I think of John's song, Rain. Amazing song. I think it was the B-side to a paperback writer. And John, in sort of typical uh, visionary, which is to say egocentric way of singing, said, I can show you that when it starts to rain, Everything's the same. Can you hear me, he sings, that when it rains and shines, it's just a state of mind. John again, maybe 24, 25 years old at this point, wanting to lay bare all of reality for all of us. That's the role that John was in. Now on one level he's right. He's saying don't over-identify with your external surroundings. There is a realm and a zone of freedom within our lives and very often it is between our ears and within ourselves in terms of how we are able to differentiate ourselves from our circumstances. But on the other hand, and this is relative to who Ringo was, John is so wrong here. There is a world out there. There is a world bigger than the world in here between our ears. And actually, I like to think of this song, Rain, and how wrong John was by imagine saying these words to a farmer. I've never known a farmer where this has happened to. I don't know too many farmers, actually. Imagine saying this to a farmer. It's just a state of mind, the rain. When they have lost their crops to flood or drought. The rain is not just a state of mind. The world is out there and the world matters. So I know I'm supposed to be talking about Ringo Sorry, I preached on John three weeks ago now. It takes a long time for me to get John out of my system. i got a real attraction, repulsion thing going on uh, with him. So, yeah, don't over-identify with the external states of being, but we're called to interact with them. And that's where Ringo comes in. For him, the whimsy and the joke and the jesting was about being called out into life. It was about finding the real or metaphorical or fanciful or whatever you want to term submarines that we're called to travel on. It was about being called to know that we all get by with a little help from our friends as we're going to sing in a little bit. It is about finding those fanciful but still necessary real. If we give up the hope of there being octopuses gardens under the shade, I think we've given up on some real core part of ourselves. For Ringo, whimsy is relationship. Is discovery. I think of that last. One of my favorite images in the world. That last comic block. That last panel. Of Calvin and Hobbes. It's a great big world there. Let's go exploring. Old buddy. Let's go exploring. And with that. Off they go. Ringo's world. Even if he didn't write the song. Ringo's world that the world is an amazing place. Get out of our own heads. Join the adventure. Because for Ringo, and this is where he is a wise teacher, to jest is to join, is to find the joy in the world. It is to know from the words of Matthew Fox, the wonderful and defrocked Catholic monk, Not defrocked because he did anything wrong, but because he taught different from the church. Taught that we are not born into a state of original sin, but perhaps we are instead born into a state of original blessing. That that is the state of the world as it was and as it might be again. Ringo's worldview is to see the world and that original blessing as still here. He loved being in the band. That was his original blessing. He was not, by his own admission, someone who practiced his craft obsessively. He said he would sit down to practice his drums, and if there wasn't the band there with him, he'd get bored and he'd leave it off. He'd go find something else to do. I love that, you know, there's this amazing mythology around Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. It is an incredible album. It's actually my least favorite Beatles album, but still amazing. But, you know, they were doing all this experimental stuff in the studio. They had all these electronic techniques. Ringo was not all that well utilized during that recording. He said, eh, it's a good album. While we were recording it, I learned to play chess. <laughs> that perhaps might be the immature side of being a joiner. That we might hear a little bit in that as sort of, oh, what is what woe is me? A doormat. That sense, have you ever been in a dysfunctional relationship? You know, don't leave, don't leave me, I won't know who I am without you. Please stay. You know? kind of person who never knows who they are aside from being part of a group. And we hear a little bit of this Ringo when he was reflecting on the Beatles coming to an end. He said, I couldn't put my finger on one reason why we broke up. It was time and we were spreading out. Well, honestly, they were spreading out more than me. I would have loved to have stayed with the band. But it was okay from my perspective at least. I think it actually was time that they broke up. I love Abbey Road. But actually, I can hear on that from my own perspective, that actually they were starting to take on the habits of groups that were much lesser than them. It was time, I think the Beatles had said everything they could have said, and they accomplished everything they could have accomplished together. George had it right. All things must pass. And actually, Ringo, even though he wasn't the first to officially quit, he knew this. He wasn't a doormat He didn't say, well, if you leave me, I won't know who I am. He actually was more like the antibody in the central nervous system that knows something is going wrong and feels that he was the first one not to quit but to walk out. During the first few weeks that the White Album was being recorded, he had had enough. He had enough of the bickering and the egos and the contested space. He actually had enough sense to walk out for a couple weeks and they knew how much they missed him. When he came back to the recording studio, George Harrison had put flowers all over his drum kit as if to say, we need you. You're a part of us. Welcome back. In Ringo, we can see that deep truth of what some spiritual teachers call interbeing. That who we are at the deepest level emerges from our capacity for relationship. This truth of interdependence is expressed in Ringo's very name, which is not Ringo. Before the Beatles, he had the name change. He was, of course, Richard Starkey. He became Ringo star because he used to play the drums with these huge rings. And he took on that name. But what that symbolizes is that he got a core part of his identity, his very name. He is not Ringo. No one calls him Richard Starkey anymore. He is Ringo But that identity emerged from him being part of the group, him getting to know himself by being a part and a participant. Interdependence says at this deep level that not just biologically are we made from the same stuff of each other, we are, but that spiritually we are made for each other as well. To jest and to join and to know that deeper joy. And to know as well as the Beatles experiences, that sometimes relationships are the biggest challenges and the biggest heartaches and the biggest headaches any of us will ever have. And sometimes in those moments, that's when we learn the most about who we are. And we would not grow except for those heartaches and those headaches. In the Christian scriptures, Paul talks about, not Paul McCartney obviously, Paul talks about there being one body, many members. That all the members of the body are an integral part. The body is not simply the hand, but the hand is part of the body, and the hand should not be jealous that the hand is not an eye, and the eye should not be jealous that it is not a foot, and the foot shouldn't complain it has to walk around on the ground. But that if each of the component parts of the body do their ways to their utmost, good enough, not perfect, then the body overall will thrive, and will know that truer, deeper sense of each part coming to be itself in relationship. With the parts that it knows. In true, beloved community, all our gifts, all our gifts are necessary. The really, really big, obvious ones, and the ones that only our attention and intention will allow us to see. A musician friend a few weeks ago told me about playing in a band out on the West Coast. And that he hadn't sat with this band too often. But he loved it because it felt like they were all listening to each other. He said he'd been in bands before that were incredibly technically proficient. But it's like they were all trying to elbow each other out. They were all trying to fight for space to demonstrate how great they were. But in this group of musicians, he said he had the experience of just this fluidity of the parts belonging to the whole, each one listening to the other and through that creating and sustaining a beautiful noise together. This is one of our core beliefs at Wellsprings. We believe that each of us yearns for connection with each other in a deep way and connection with the sacred. That we might know that our freedom reaches its fulfillment in connection with Other people. It is to say this that none of us might ever know what it is to be fully a me without experiencing a we. Through this common sense of identity, through knowing that we are bound together in relationship, that the true self within us starts to emerge. That in any relationship, of meaning and purpose, we might try and and find our true voice. What I love finally about Ringo is that he did not have the capacity to teach this. He had the capacity to be this. To find his part in the whole. To find his role in life. And through his gift, to make the whole what it needed to become. Amen. May you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God, Spirit, that larger whole of which we are a part. May we know that tomorrow does not know. And that looking backward, we can see what we can see. Bring out what we can bring out and let go what we need to. May we know in this moment, in our deep discernment, ask ourselves, what role can we play? Not perfectly and not finally, but here And now. So that our contribution. May be a part of sustaining all. The ancient Hebrews. They had the word. Tikan holam. That in the beginning. Creation was. Whole. And then through fragmentation. Through pain. Through struggle. The wholeness shattered. May all of us. And each of us with our gifts. May we do our part. To help creation. To rediscover its wholeness. Amen.